I'm Gene, and this is Perfect Flow. I'm a New Zealand-based athlete and coach focused on optimizing performance, health, and well-being. While I have a professional background in biomedical engineering, I've chosen to follow my more immediate passions for running, endurance, adventure, movement, nutrition, lifestyle, community, psychology, and personal growth. My goal in starting this podcast is to connect with bright minds to extract the information I need to live a life that makes sense and feels good, and share those conversations with others. Apart from your favorite podcast app, the best places to follow my work are perfectflow.nz, genebeverage.nz, and perfectflow on Facebook. Hi, welcome back to Perfect Flow. Today I'm speaking with Dan Jones. Dan lives here in Wellington, where I now live, so it was great to sit down with him in person and have a chat about his training. And uh, those that know Dan Jones know that he's an extremely good marathon runner, as you will hear from what we talk about, but I'm really keen to hear about his training and how he sees the different kinds of sessions that he does and how he sees his training blocks as a whole. And so we get into topics like his typical and favorite kind of training sessions, how he knows uh, when he's doing too much and uh, the progression of the blocks that he builds together and what he what he thinks of the idea of uh, the perfect build towards a race, which of course encompasses tapering as an important part of that. And we talk about the social side of running and also Dan's coaching that he does with Dougal Allen for a number of uh, endurance clients and multi-sport clients. So I thought this was really interesting to sit down and just talk running and talk endurance. And one tip I have for you as a listener is get used to scaling the paces that we mentioned. So when Daniel mentions that he was running three minutes per kilometer, uh, you need to imagine in your head whatever your kind of 95% effort would be. And it probably, maybe it's not three minutes per kilometer, it's certainly not three minutes per kilometer is certainly not a 90% effort for me. It's a bit higher and just get used to making that conversion between uh, what pace Dan says he's running and convert that into what kind of intensity that would be. So I think Daniel's running his VO2 max stuff at around three minutes per kilometer and he's running his easy stuff at around 4.30 or 4.20. So just get used to that's the range of his extremely hard to extremely easy. And just know what your range is so that maybe when he says four minutes per kilometer, you think for yourself that's a five minutes per kilometer or that's a 530. Um, or maybe for you it's it's faster than Daniel, but there's not many of us listening that are, have faster training times than Dan. So yeah, just I think that's a good tip. It would be great in the podcast if we had talked about percentages a little bit more, but we didn't. So yeah, I encourage you just to get used to scaling the paces that we talk about into what uh, you're used to feeling and running at at your end. So I hope you enjoy this talk I've just recorded with Dan Jones. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. What was this morning session? Yeah, this morning was a big marathon session. Corey Park, also known as the Field of Dreams to the to the local marathoning crew or the local running crew, um, that involved five times one kilometer hard, 
one kilometer floats. What's so, float? So this morning around 3.45, 3.40 pace. Okay. Just a bit, probably like a, about a steady. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you call it's it. Steady for you. A bit faster than a road yeah. pace. Um, and then went on to, well, no rest in between just after that float was a 10 K tempo all at about three 15, uh, three yep. 12 to three 15 pace kind of trying to hit around marathon pace and then on to another five times one K hard one K float. So 30 K session all up. So those one K hards is like more of a VO two max yeah, kind of pace. Probably around. Well, not quite around probably about half marathon pace around three anything from around 306 to 311 depending on how tired i was that route oh yep yep so you play it by air a little bit or is that just inevitably at the end of the day you notice that kind of variation yeah just looking back at what i'm doing i don't try and you know pay too much attention to what i'm hitting yeah. when i'm actually within the workout because i want to yeah. you know listen to the body a bit as well yeah and it was a bit more of a progression so i guess the first five times 1k hard 1k uh, floats were slightly slower than when i was finishing off the session because i didn't want to blow myself up yeah 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 cool do you normally uh you take it that subjectively even for the slower sessions or is it mainly just the faster sessions where you uh, let it kind of fall where it lands well, I know the general feeling, how I should be feeling in a marathon session. And if I'm, you know, if, if that lactic, I guess, is building up too quickly, I know that I'm probably going a bit too hard to try and, you know, maintain that effort for 30 kilometers, uh, which I guess is all right if you're doing, say, a six times 1K session where the lactic's going to build up anyway, then, then you know, you should be able, you should be hitting at maybe a certain pace um, for that session that day. But, yeah. That, that's exactly right for the marathon session you have to get through it um just like you know base mileage is more of a day-to-day how do you how do i feel when i'm going out for my easy or steady or aerobic yeah. runs yeah you had some massive weeks recently mm-hmm. that's all part of a bigger progression yeah were those big weeks for you or is that just where the the level has has risen to yeah uh, for me i'd say i respond pretty well to high mileage so when I'm in the marathon blocks, uh, as I am right now, leading up to Gold Coast, I, I, I find that 200k, 210k seems to work for me all right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's not probably sustainable for anything longer than, say, 10 to 12 weeks. But yeah, from here on, from the last three or four weeks, along with a bit of racing as well, okay. um, I've managed to maintain a fairly high volume. Cool. And when you're saying 200ks, that's not you're not pushing up to that level by reducing the intensity you're still doing sessions like the mm. one you did this morning like it's still a well-balanced week yeah 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 i i think you know if i wasn't doing the, the sessions then there'll be no point in me trying to um hit that volume okay so i do try and do one midweek session and then a saturday session in the morning and if we've got a like a club race then i'll do maybe a double workout day that day and then Sunday is usually the longer run, and sometimes yeah, we pick, depending on how the week's gone. If, I, if I'm feeling alright, I might make that a bit a bit harder as well to make it more of a marathon session. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Mm. Um, you said it was only sustainable for ten to twelve weeks. Have you overdone it before? Where do you, how do you know that's the the limit? 
Yeah, it's, it's a hard one. Um, you Again, it's listening to the body. Um, if I am starting to break down a little bit, then it'll probably be, to, I'll, yeah, I'll just back it off a little bit for a week and see how I feel after that. But no, I've, yeah, well, yeah, I've been concentrating on the marathon for, I guess, for about three years, maybe three or four years now. Um, and I've had some pretty good build-ups before leading up to Gold Coast Marathon and Lake Beaver Marathon and I've noticed, yeah, those, I can, I can, yeah, maintain 200k weeks or 190k weeks for, for a good few weeks and then, um, stay pretty injury-free. Yeah. Um, as long as, you know, once I've had that race, I bring it back down again after that. Um, what happens first when you do overload it? You mentioned being injury free mm. or is it fatigue that sets in first like your time start to to drop or do you tend to find something breaking yeah no that, there's a hard line, line to draw i think when you're marathon training because in, inevitably um you're going to get fatigued and you're kind of surrounded by fatigue when you're doing those long weeks anyway and with fatigue i guess that you got that higher injury risk so i think you're going to feel fatigued and then if a little niggle pops up that's when i'll tell myself um yeah um it's time to to bring that volume down a bit and then you know still try and get in those good sessions because that's what that's what i want i want to be able to be you know hitting marathon pace and not struggling too much hitting marathon pace within those sessions okay so you're you're prioritizing the i'm tempted just to not say quality over quantity but you're tempted to include the higher intensity stuff as a priority so if you are getting a bit overcooked hmm. you might shave back the the steady and the easy runs first yep yeah exactly and you know the reason why i'm actually able to hit quite high mileage high volume is because you know, I'm getting in those double days, um, Monday, Tuesdays might look, um, you know, like a 15k morning run, um, and then an easy running in the afternoon, which might only be eight, eight to 10 kilometers. And so it's quite easy just to bring one of those runs down or even just, um, yeah, knock one of those double days out completely. And then yeah. it's just affects your mileage, like that level of that high, that high volume, it affects it quite a bit when, as soon as you take out one or two double days. Yeah. Yeah, it really starts losing the mileage. And those easier runs are done at steady. Do you have a difference between a steady and an easy intensity? Like, do, do you have really have an, a focused, easy pace? Uh, yeah, I, I, I try to be, but again, I listen to the body. So if it's, if it's a bit like, a, I guess, an aerobic run where... You, you're working but you're not working that hard so maybe 410s 420s um say in the morning then in the afternoon generally i'll be feeling a bit tired like you know after the day of doing stuff as well um and so that afternoon run might might just be a straight recovery easy run so 440s it can even up to five minute pace if i'm feeling Mm -hmm. really tired and that's just more so just to get the legs ticking over again and hopefully they'll recover for that next day yeah that's a a subtle difference but i have seen value in myself and having an easy and it's easier than i want to run yeah when i do that intensity like my mechanics feel a bit better actually if i go uh, faster if i do the steady my mechanics feel better but these easy runs yeah really focusing on slowing down 
and just trying to get the kilometers with no extra damage done. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. And once in a while as well, I might even just finish off with a few strides or some mm. hill sprints and it kind of just gets, even though you might feel tired, but as soon as you do those, for some reason it can really, like, I don't know, stimulate maybe the, um, you know, give you that run as high or yeah. something like that because then you end up feeling that run just really good. It might just be an easy run and finish off with a few strides or a few efforts. Uh, whether they're flat on the flat or on the hills, but then you can actually really come out of that room feeling, oh, yeah, I'm actually ready. And can actually, you know, doing that before a workout the next day can actually really help, I think, stimulate maybe the, not just the, you know, um, physiological side of things, but also the psychological side oh, yeah. of things as well. What are you doing for these strides? Yeah, so the strides, I quite like to add them in to just, you know, keep the legs um, moving fast, getting used to running faster than an even 10k pace or half marathon pace or marathon pace of the strides i'll just do like finish off of maybe six if i'm doing them on the flat maybe six to eight um times about 30 seconds 20 to 30 oh, yeah. seconds and that'll just be like a bit of a gradual build up into intensity mm-hmm. and then just finishing off just before you feel that lactic starting to kick in so yeah you're really just getting the legs ticking over really nicely yeah. i either do that or do them on the flat or i do some um short shorter and sharper um hill sprints which is quite good because it takes a bit of the impact off the body since you're doing them on the hill you're not mm. quite um you're not quite getting you know that same impact as you would on the flat and you can actually really focus on like driving driving forward getting getting that knee to drive through and yeah, it really, I don't know, I, I find it really just helps um, with probably the, the more the power and actually getting you running, running a bit faster. Yeah, I definitely like doing the strides for technique. Hmm. I think hmm. I'm focusing on trying to increase my stride efficiency. And if, I'm, if I do do strides every now and again or very short reps every now and again, then it makes uh, like interval pace feel a lot more comfortable, a lot easier doesn't make the, the lungs still burn at three minutes mm. but like you you can actually move physically at something around three minutes per kilometer without the, the body just kind of screaming from the start so i think it is nice just to remind your body what it feels like to move so fast but i tend to do shorter than 30 seconds i start to burn up a little bit so mm. maybe that means yeah just keeping the intensity lower for those strides otherwise they turn into reps which just really burn your really burn your legs yeah, and then when I say 30 seconds, I don't start off usually too hard. So mm. the first 10, 15 seconds might be just like, you know, warming into it, I guess you could say. Mm. And then just finishing just off with like, yeah, that, that hard acceleration, not acceleration, mm. but yeah, re- really ramping up into what might be your, your peak um, velocity. Yeah, and with uh, the hill reps, if you do really attack a hill, yeah, you can burn in fifteen seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you're, yeah, you're, you're dialing it down a little bit from that. Like you'd probably burn out at like twenty five or something, but you're only running to fifteen or twenty. Yeah. So for those, sorry, for those whole reps, I'm only doing 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. Uh, just really cutting back on the length of time and just yeah, really making sure they're real quality. Yeah. Because I think yeah, with those hill ones, yeah, as you say, y- your legs will be burning pretty bad if you. Try to do 30 second hill reps. Yeah. 
So you're not pushing when you say you're doing strides as part of an easy session, mm. you're not pushing those strides into the red zone. No. Yeah. No, it's more so just really get getting comfortable running at a different, I guess, yeah. pace zone compared to just, you know, jogging along at what you're quite comfortable at. Yeah. And yeah, finish I like to finish a session like that because then you just end up yeah, really getting um <clears throat> Feeling good about, um, yeah, you know, walking in the door thinking, oh, that was actually a really useful session. Yeah. Do you do much fartlek stuff that's highly variable and even unstructured? Um, I would say a little bit in my, um, I guess, long runs. Sometimes I, f- I find, you know, I'm pushing the uphills a bit harder and then backing off a bit on the flats or the downs. Um, I don't really... Uh, do too many straight sessions like that but yeah everyone's different in in the way that they work and you know what kind of sessions they include into their program I suppose yeah yeah I found that as a good way when I've been less fit to try to do uh, a range of intensity types and it gives you permission to burn up a little bit on the hills I think when you're unfit it's just so so easy to overcook yourself so it's quite hard especially in Wellington to do only easy sessions if you're only moderately fit like I've been in the past so permission to do fart leg means that you can do a few of the hills a bit harder and sprint a few short ones and it kind of all makes sense as part of the session as opposed to saying you're going out to do an easy <laughs> and then end up doing a 15 minute burner up to skyline yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's nice to actually take away from the pressure of you know riding a certain distance in a certain amount of time so it is nice to to, you know add into your program when you're i guess coming back from injury or you know coming off off uh maybe an off season or a bit of a, a down period yeah but you have you're not doing much on trails at the moment um i mean i do some of my easy and my you know um, just aerobic runs on the trails for sure i quite like to you know vary up that um vary up the terrain that i'm running on just to give the old legs a bit of a break from pounding the pavement yeah so what do you f- feel when you're pounding the pavement that much i know i struggle with my my calves a bit if i do too much yeah on the hard ground do you have something that gives you a warning um not too much i mean as i said i I do try and mix it up a lot so whenever i get the chance I, i guess i'll try and take it off off the pavement and i'm only really doing hmm yeah it's hard to say because you, know, you can really condition your body to riding on the road some people mm-hmm. don't have that opportunity to run off road like i guess we have in new zealand and being so lucky you mm-hmm. know around wellington and different cities in new zealand there's also the opportunity to jump on the trail if we want to um so yeah i, I don't know i mean yeah the odd injury crops up but you don't know whether that's from um overtraining or you know i think the main injuries from running on the pavement would probably be uh, maybe a sore Achilles or um, some people might say like shin splints or things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get the odd, but then you can look at maybe you just got tight calves or you, you, there's other things you can do to help alleviate those, yep. those small nickels popping up as well with strength training and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's always kind of multifactorial and it's hard to mm-hmm. say what was the cause if there's multiple things you can change that could have all prevented it. And yeah, that's right with me getting sore calves. It's, you know, it's sore calves for a certain amount of 
massage work and release work mm. that I've done. And it's often, it's just been caught by surprise when you're maybe not as conditioned as you thought you were. Mm. So you were never looking to see if your calves were in good shape or not, and just maybe did a bit too much too soon. And then suddenly that you realize that your calves are super tight and your Achilles are, are suffering because of that. So yeah, it's all, all in the context. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you're working towards Gold Coast. Is that the marathon you've done before? Yeah. So that's where I had my debut proper road, first proper road marathon. Uh, when was that? That was, geez, 2000 and maybe 18 or 17. Yeah. So yeah, probably yeah. Like three or four years ago. And yeah, I had, that's where I did my PB two years ago now because there was yeah. no racing last year. I probably yeah. would have been back there last year as well if I could have been. But um, yeah, two years ago where I did my PB and haven't really been in a, um, a really fast marathon since. I'll be looking to you know have a good crack at this yeah. one coming up. So that's quite flat. Yeah, flat and fast. In the past, it's had you know some really good international athletes yeah. with uh, Kenyans and Japanese uh, Americans coming over. Obviously, got a really good Australian contingent yeah. and New Zealand. Is it the premier uh, marathon in Oceania? Yeah, well, I'd say one of them because yeah. it's a it's a gold label event. So I wouldn't think there's too many of those around around the place. And what time did you do two years ago? Two years ago, it was 2.16.15. Cool. And what was the time before then, and how did it feel to do that time? Was that where you expected to, based on the training you were doing? Yeah, so I, my debut was two, two hours, um, 20 minutes and five seconds. So that was a, a nice start off. I would like to yeah. have broken that two hours 20, but it wasn't to be that day. And then, yeah, just it was a year later where I did... You know, I'd, I'd knocked four minutes, I'd just under four minutes off. Um, previous to that, like a couple of months before that, I'd raced in Japan at Lake Biwa Marathon, and that was a hell of an experience as well. I mean, just so cool um, racing in Japan where the atmosphere for marathon running is just next level. Um, and I, I guess conditions weren't perfect, that race pretty bit wet and cold, but... Um, I did two eighteen forty there, so it was just it was quite a good progression between those two races, and only you know um, two months uh, of proper, I mean maybe three months of proper training between those two, um, and I think that just shows you know a good consistent build. Well, yeah. firstly leading into the Lake Beaway, which um, might have been a, a slightly shorter build, but then, you know, l- carrying on that fitness leading into Gold Coast obviously paid dividends somewhere along the line. Can you predict your race time based on your training times? Um, I think you can get a bit of an idea up until, you know, where you should be. Obviously, marathons are a pretty un- unpredictable beast that can either go really, really well or can go much horribly worse. Yeah. And um, the conditions could change the t- yeah. two-minute difference quite easily. Yeah, well, last year leading into Gold Coast, they had um, like kind of tropical storms blowing for like three days before. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. Everyone goes, you know, to try and. That's the thing with marathon running. You've only you've only got you know maybe a few chances a year to run fast times, and then when you kind of lay it all down the line for one race, it's you're hoping conditions are in your favour. If they're not, well then you've just got to race it and so be it. But. um, Luckily, the winds died down, I think, the day before the race, yeah. and we actually ended up with a pretty good day. Yeah, cool. 
Um, yeah, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that progression from year to year and at what points in that, that time between those races did you notice your fitness improve? Did you have any other um, check marks a- along the way that you used to uh, checkpoint your your progress or were you very much unsure the day before the race whether you'd made any progress at all in the past year? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember um, what I got up to, to be honest. Um, so leading into Gold Coast, yeah, that's right, for my for my first marathon, leading into Gold Coast, I kind of went in with the goal at the start of the year, thinking, oh, I want to run a marathon, let's try and do two hours 30, and my running, I guess my workouts look like they're on track to, to definitely hit two hours 30, so I was like, oh, okay, let's make the A goal two hours 25, and then, yeah, as I was training along, you know, as you were saying before, you can kind of predict um, what kind of shape you're in based on what kind of splits you're hitting in, the, in these longer marathon workouts because you always can pull something out, you know, on race day as well. And so then I actually put my, my A goal is two hours 20 and I obviously just missed that. But yeah, in between those two years, it probably wasn't like perfect build-up, but you don't know what a perfect build-up is. So I went over to China and raced the multi-sport scene again after my first <laughs> marathon uh, which is the stage racing in, in, in China where you're in teams and you're on the, you know, you're doing cross training basically. Um, so not a specific marathon uh, training where you're mountain biking, kayaking, just ru- yeah, running around hills doing these um, huge endurance events. Um, but then yeah, once I did come back from that in I think it must have been September, then yeah, I got cracking back in yeah back into the marathon and i um did auckland marathon and that went pretty well um having maybe only three or four weeks of specific uh, marathon training in post that, that china racing and I, I did like two hours 24 which i mean it's a decent time i guess for that course and i ended up second which i was pretty happy with the result especially after yeah that non-specific marathon build straight into a yeah. what is one of the probably tougher marathon courses you know running over the harbour bridge it's it's not easy which maybe that paid into um you know having that strength base from the china racing that could have paid into my favor um doing yeah. that what is the perfect build it's really <laughs> hard to know you don't get many shots at testing various things do you you've got to choose an approach and and go with it exactly exactly so yeah from from then i think i just spent a bit more yeah a bit more time, well too much time, more time racing jumped into queenstown marathon which was only a few weeks later then two weeks after that race kepler yeah and so yeah <laughs> just a lot of racing and who knows you know that could it could have helped with getting mentally strong at racing yeah. long events hard events and also you're putting your body under quite a bit of strain when you're racing back to back like that yeah I've also noticed that it's been hard to predict um, where my form is and reading books from various famous coaches. Yeah, I think a lot of them have obviously got very good at predicting when their athletes will hit, hit peak form. I've, to- I've failed every time to predict when peak form comes and it's I've had my, my best races in many situations like what you're saying six weeks into the training block mm. was peak form and then I mellowed out for the rest of the training block and then maybe came back at the end or something like that 
or just never came back at the end. And my fastest times were like mid block. Um, I've never, yeah, I've really struggled to get it, get it predictable, I think is, is the thing. Like I'm always making a, a long-term improvement, but it's really hard to be predict, to predict what races within the season you will arrive with top form. Have you had, is that similar to what, what happened to you on that season? Um, or did you just keep improving the whole way through the block way faster than what you thought? Yeah, I mean, some of those races you can't really, yeah, they're just so much different in terms yeah. of the course. So it's hard to, it's hard to actually judge how fast you're at, you're mm -hmm. really are at that point in time. Yeah. But I, I know completely what you mean. Like I've had some big build ups and then, you know, you might race or yeah, you might get injured a few weeks before you're racing. You know, you're not able to train for those last few weeks and then, you know, you might be just doing the odd, odd run here and there thinking, oh, I'm losing all my fitness. But really, if you're, if you're mentally still there doing what you can do, just maybe keeping the body moving a little bit, you can go into that race and still have the race of your life maybe because you don't lose that much. Yeah. Um, you're probably not going to lose that much. Yeah. And just maybe the thing that you needed was to freshen up a bit. Yeah. And that's so, why I'm a big yeah. believer in, you know, a good taper. Yeah. Um, three weeks out, at least two weeks out, you're, you're really coming down off that mileage yeah. and you're looking at freshening the body up, especially for your, for your A races or those races that you really want to go into and be fresh and, yeah, put down a real solid performance. Yeah. You tend to do a three week taper? Well, yeah, starting out to drop the mileage off three yeah. weeks out, still keeping in the, those intensity sessions up until probably yeah. one and a half weeks out, but definitely not maybe the, the same long marathon workouts yeah. that I talked about earlier. They might yeah. be just like looking at, you know, sharpening up, just getting that, that speed there a bit more as well. Yeah. Have you had trouble with, with tapering? Was it confusing your body a little bit? Oh, yeah. I think most people probably have if they've been in the game for a while it's the body goes in tapering and wonders what the hell it's doing i know I'm, actually yeah went into my um just before i had that pb over in gold coast i think it was about i was into my last solid workout which i think i was going to do like a 4k or it was like a 3k 1k 1k times two or something like that and yeah i got through the halfway through the first set and I was like no like the body <laughs> just said no I wasn't hitting any kind of pace I think I'm only 20 or 30 seconds slower than what I was supposed to be hitting or what I wanted to be hitting and so I was like no I'll just leave that That's, that session's done the body's telling me I need to freshen up more and you know and that sometimes happens in taper your, your body just does some weird things you might pick up a little niggle here and there but it's more so I think your body just <laughs> thinking, whoa, I needed this, I needed this taper. Yeah. It's about time to really freshen up now and get ready for race day. Yeah, well, that's reassuring to hear that you also have problems or challenges with the taper because it's, yeah, forever just spinning a roulette wheel for me. Hmm. I don't, I've been tempted just to never taper <laughs> just because at least I might be a bit tired, but I won't be like totally flat, all these hmm. weird kind of overtraining symptoms that come on when you take your foot off the gas. Yeah. Um, so either for me, either kind of not tapering works better than a short taper, like two weeks seems like a really risky taper or like a four month, uh, sorry, four week taper seems safer because I get through all of the, the strange reaction to doing less training before those, <laughs> before those weeks. 
obviously you do less training overall if you mm. you're essentially shaving the the peak week back one or two yeah and there's I think a few it, things to play with there it is and i think you, you know once you actually work it out which what works best for you because I've, I've heard that as well like some people might do f- five weeks out have like a real down week or real deload week and then four weeks out, you know, maybe ramp it up for that fourth week again. And then three weeks out, then start mm-hmm. coming back. So it's like a, a double, I guess a W yeah. shaped taper. Yeah. That's, that's my jam now, actually. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I do the first taper and I'm, I come rearing back, rearing to go. And so then I'm like, all right, we can do a hard week. Yeah. It's like trying to guide a missile into the, <laughs> to the destination, right? And you don't want to, you want to check that you're on target. Um, before it's too late to readjust <laughs> and yeah i found that i found that useful but yeah there's not there's not a one-size-fits-all for sure and that's one of the things that gets talked about i think there seems to be a lot of consistency with people believing that like a two-week taper is the way to go whereas i think in practice it's something that's very varied mm. that. yeah um what kind of sessions are you doing um, throughout the rest of your week, you, you mentioned that there were some, some slow ones and, um, you mentioned like that session you did this morning or what other kinds of stuff are you doing? Yeah. So I, on the, so tomorrow, like, you know, just looking at the rest of the week, I guess it'll be Thursday, it'll probably be a double day. Friday, I'll have an easier day, yeah. um, leading into the weekend because the weekend's usually pretty big for me and yeah, so Friday might just be 45 minutes to an hour of running, just easy, again, whatever the body feels like doing, 4 minutes, 20 to 4 minutes, 45, 5-minute pace, however I feel. And then, yeah, the weekend, just because actually it's cross-country season, I love doing a bit of club racing as well. Uh, these last couple of weeks I've been doing a session in the morning, which might look like a maybe some 1K efforts in like a 10K tempo, usually including that 10k tempo in there and then they'll be in the morning and then the, the afternoon session might be just a fun cross-country race yeah which I'll, i still take pretty seriously and <laughs> i love to represent the, the wellington scottish crew so um yeah another good warm-up get that race done cool down you know it looks, it's looking like a 35 40 kilometer day anyway so it's another just big day mm. on the legs and then sunday if I'm doing that kind of day on Saturday, then realistically Sunday is just a long run. Um, it won't be a hard long run probably, but anywhere from maybe four minutes to 14 average pace. So right in the middle there, I guess. Are you doing those long runs with other people? Yep. Yep. Try to, try to do it with the, the um, marathon running crew here. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about if you are centering your life around doing this kind of training then like why is saturday and sunday the the big days it yeah. could easily be wednesday but i think there's a social aspect there as well do you enjoy doing those longer sessions socially yeah absolutely and i guess if i wasn't doing the the saturday races either i'd probably do that that uh that workout on friday and maybe do a tuesday friday sunday type setup um, but I do enjoy the cross-country racing and I like to represent the club in there that, that social aspect of getting out and making the, the case tick by quicker, having some yarns yeah. with, with club mates and stuff like that is, is very helpful and 
I'd definitely encourage others to yeah. you know get into that side of yeah. that side of social thing part um, of running. Is it just the Wellington Scottish training crew, or is there so some other groups? I haven't been very social here in Wellington yet, so yeah. I'm not even sure what who's who's doing what training. Who are you training with? Um, yeah, well, it's just because I'm um, a member of that club, but yeah, anyone's welcome. Eh? We, we don't. Yeah, anyone can show up and be like, oh, we'll, we'll run with run with this crew, or yeah, even this afternoon we got the. Um, I'll be taking a session for the Windy City multi-sport crew out out um, in front of Freiburg Pool, so we'll do another session. I'll, I'll probably be taking it pretty easy uh, this afternoon, <laughs> probably just giving them some, yeah, easy running. Maybe join the, the C group or something yeah. like that. But um, no, it's, it, it is kind of cool seeing Wellington is quite an active city, so there's a lot of people out running, there's different groups, yeah. There's a lot of people you can be running with. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, is there an easy way to get involved with some of those running groups? I guess you've kind of been in the scene for a long time. Um, how do how do people find those groups? Yeah, I suppose so. So every um, at round the bays, there's a, there's always tents set up because that's right at the start of the season. Yeah. Wellington round the bays, so you can you can join up to the clubs there or. Yeah, all, clubs are always trying to recruit new members anyway, but otherwise I'd say just look at, um, yeah, just get in touch with, I don't know, someone someone that will be in the know. Surely you see, you see some people around, just approach them because they want they want their clubs to grow. If, yeah. if you see a runner with a, you know, a uh, yellow singlet with a line on the front, <laughs> that's one from Scottish, approach those guys. Yeah. There's WAC, there's Olympic, uh, there's Vic Uni, there's heaps of clubs around Wellington, so... Yeah, I just think definitely encourage people to join clubs because yeah. they can help set you, you know, set up a fairly structured week for you. Yeah. And there's also some different options like I know um, our club does even some coaching options, so it's pretty handy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to get out and do sessions when you know that it already exists. Yeah. And there's going to be people there to hang out with. It's just no emotional effort to get out of the house. Eh? And, and you can get so much motivation from running with people. That's, that's how you can make the easy gains is getting pushed along with others yeah. yeah yeah are you doing some coaching at the moment yeah i, I do coaching um endurance coaching um either running or uh, multi-sport and as i said that that little, little run club that we're doing this afternoon so yeah it's um it, it's good it's a good way for me to also get a bit of motivation from up from others as well mm-hmm. yeah when did you start coaching is it just something you kind of merged into since you've been competitive for so long yeah well I, I was working at pwc so quite a um or an office job and you know that was probably a bit more than 40 hours per week i'd say and when i you know had a pretty decent time over in gold coast i thought oh, i want to give this running thing a good crack my goal is still to represent new zealand in some shape or form at, in marathon running so i thought i'd yeah, I'd try, I'd, you know, hand in my notice at, at PwC and then that's when I went down that coaching route to to do something that I'm quite passionate about, yeah. helping others, you know, get, you know, reach their own goals, but also yeah. to give myself a bit more flexibility and time to set up a, a week of hard training and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So how many hours of your coaching work do you reckon you're, you're doing a week now? Oh, it, it, 
yeah, it comes and goes a bit with with big events, and I, I guess the winter season is a bit bit easier, or I shouldn't say easier, but like there's a bit more time for me. Yeah. And then yeah, around that summer season when you've got things like the, the big ultras like Tarawera and Coast to Coast and Kepler, all those races coming up, it gets a lot busier with more mm. people coming on board for coaching. But yeah, well, when it's busy, it's probably around twenty hours per week. Yeah. And at the moment, it's maybe five to ten yeah yeah i'm finding somewhere around that gives me enough time to do all the exercise i'm wanting Mm. to do and all the sleep and eating and and stuff i want to do as well somewhere around 20 hours of non-training related time per week seems to be about the right number it's definitely hard to sustain it on 40 hours yep of, of work per week i was definitely sacrificing sleep and I imagine you would have been, well, I'm not sure how hard you were training prior or while you were at PwC, but was there one thing that you knew you were sacrificing? Yeah, well, I think as you touched on, sleep is so important for recovery. It's, I think it's been proven to be the most yeah. important uh, recovery tool. So yeah, there's that. And there's also just that supplementary stuff like, um, you know, strength training. So some days you might want to do your run, but then you also might want to do some gym work or as you said before, like the stretching, the yoga. And those are kind of the things that I never really thought too important mm-hmm. to, to supplement my training in the past. But now it's just like, yeah, I've been injury free for quite mm-hmm. a while and some things pop up once in a while and that's probably just laziness on my part Mm -hmm. like neglect the stretching the i've even did a bit of yoga over the summer and yeah just keeping on keeping on top of that stretching and stuff now is seems to be so important to really keep the mobility in the hips and especially when you're running such big mileage in a linear you know your body's going one way all the time you kind of need to move outside those planes to make sure that things don't break down or, yeah. you know, get just too constricted there. Yeah. Yeah. And that probably takes, yeah, sitting down for half an hour on yeah. the floor every second day. And that, that's the thing, the first thing to go yeah. when you're working too much. And, and that's right. Cause you come from your run, you, you have a quick shower and you're sitting yeah. in your chair back to work. It's not yeah. like, Oh, I'll give yourself a bit of time to yeah. have a, protein drink or uh yeah and then sit down and give yourself some time to it maybe even reflect on the run you know how did yeah. that go what do i got to do next time you can while you're doing that you're sitting on the floor stretching out yeah doing some strength work yeah yeah that's really cool it's really cool and uh, so yeah what else um with the coaching are you focusing just on running coaching because i know you have a lot of experience with the multi-sport and some longer endurance stuff are you supporting many people that are doing that kind of stuff, like coast to coast even? Yeah, so coast to coast is, is a major event and with the coast to coast growing as well, that has been the main event that I think people mm. want a bit of instruction and accountability for because just because, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big day out there and if you go into that underdone and not really have an idea of how to, how to approach it, then that's not going to probably go too well for you yeah. unless you, you know, you get lucky or... The conditions are just perfect where yeah. the wind blows you across the pass <laughs> and you can float down the river at a, at a, in a, you know, a nice high li- uh, river level, which at the moment, I suppose, it's probably a bit, yeah, you're probably doing some record times even if you had been in a boat. But yeah, it's multi-sport 
has been part of my life, I guess, for, yeah, for my whole life with my, with my dad racing and doing coast to coast and adventure racing. So it's something that it was quite an easy step to, to jump into with, with, well, first myself when I got into multi-sport and the, the China stage racing, but then also into, into coaching because I've, yeah, been passionate about it and been around it for ages. Do you find that you've got knowledge about some of the more technical aspects of multi-sport that has accrued over the years? Like a few things about paddling and mountain biking that like you were never really coached in, but you've just got, got the experience that a someone who had just studied endurance running uh, just wouldn't wouldn't know the nuances there? Yeah, well, I think endurance running, it's not so, well, apart from, you know, the form and what we've talked over about the certain things that can actually probably help your form with, with the hill sprints and things like that, running is running a little bit in that sense is like the the technique that you've ingrained like ingrained into your habits it's probably going to stay there unless you you really focus at changing it and the only reason you do that is because it's really giving you injuries yeah i was going to say yeah I've, I've come unstuck trying to fix things that yeah were interesting but not problems yeah yeah and it, it just ends in injury yeah exactly especially if you try and change it or try and change it too quick i guess and maybe um, not supplementing with that strength training. And so, yeah, with the kayaking side of things and the mountain biking or cycling, yeah, there's definitely some technical aspects that, you know, you, you learn for experience, but also, yeah, doing, um, making a conscious effort to, to, to try and to learn techniques and, yeah, yeah be surrounded by people that are, doing the right things i mm. suppose yeah and you can impart that knowledge mm. quite easily in terms of more easily for the the biking and paddling stuff do you find yeah well there's definitely faster kayakers out there than me yeah. there's definitely faster mountain bikers or cyclists out there than me but you know for for experience you definitely gain some of those those skills and yeah. um i'm coaching pretty like remotely so you know using the, the platform training peaks and setting programs and we can use a bit of like video analysis and things like that but it's um there's actually if you want to really like improve yourself then it's actually getting a, someone there like right beside you right and fixing the very small technique changes and what they're saying so yeah, you really need someone to actually be sitting next to you in a kayak or, yeah. or you know, right there on the bike showing you exactly where yeah. you're going wrong. It's a good argument to get stuck in with a club or a community mm. and, and learn from people who have, have more experience. Exactly. Yeah. Um, with with that multi-sport kind of training, um, I'm wondering if you're spending more time setting the mileage or less time letting newer athletes kind of explore that space a bit more whereas if you're coming in with a running program i could imagine it's a bit more predictable maybe you can be more prescriptive with what they're doing yeah well people that haven't done i guess a sport in the past as well they want they want those guidelines kind of set in place right. but that's why i think that communication is pretty key in mm -hmm. in the sense that they've, they've probably got a certain amount of time to work with around the you know daily lives and a lot of these people they want to complete the coast to coast, so they're not there to maybe set records. Yeah. So it's actually um, setting up a time frame that's going to work best for them and get them 
to a level that's actually going to help them achieve their goals around you know around their family life and work life and getting that balance right for them Mm -hmm. do you still find you can be quite prescriptive yeah Yeah. i I do and and again that is that comes down to uh, you might not get it right the first week or so but it comes down to that communication through the athlete and the coach um to, to what is working and yeah making sure those well, we're hoping those sessions turn green in, in training peaks. Um, yeah. So, yeah, probably not, you know, over-prescribing or mm-hmm. not under-prescribing. It's obviously, um, it, it takes a, yeah, the right amount of communication to get that right. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience as a coach. Also, I started trying to be, um, I mean, it, there's always that element of being prescriptive because it's actually helpful for someone who doesn't know exactly mm. what to do and they're looking for guidance, but trying to be accurate from yeah. day one and trying to get the whole program as accurate as possible from day one. And I could do that to myself to some degree and and doing it to others is even harder because there's so many things that are unpredictable. And in the end, yeah, I'm just happy if I can get the first four weeks kind of accurate. And then something's going to come away. They're going to get sick for a week, job comes up, and I just found no point in trying to be accurate from day one and introducing feedback was really the only way to have a successful training program that's longer than three weeks. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's what, yeah, athletes or it, anyone needs a bit of flexibility in their training. So I, I, I just say to them, you know, if something comes up, we're going to work with you to, to change that next week around. Like if you get sick, then, you're probably not going to be coming out of fitness. You're not going to be wanting to do a well, six to eight times one K session yeah. uh, at 95%, you know what I mean? So it is working with the athlete to, to actually be flexible. Um, if something comes up, mm-hmm. yep, that needs to be communicated and we're going to change that around. So you're not blowing yourself to bits when yeah. you're, you're not hundred percent healthy. Yeah. You're working with Dougal Allen for a little bit. Are you still, is that still the gig or have you got your own thing now? Yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. still side contract there from yeah. oh, with Dougal. And is it just the two of you in the team? Yeah, and, yep. and Amy as well. Oh, cool. So Amy's, um, well, Dougal and I are the coaching, doing the coaching and mm-hmm. Amy's um, keeping the keeping the whole trip running, I suppose. <laughs> keeping the wheels on. Yeah, exactly. So, no, it's been awesome, um, yeah. you know, especially because Dougal's obviously still, still racing still coming yeah. out winning coast to coast and things like that so it's it's been pretty special to you know be part of that and just seeing seeing his seeing that business come along as well yeah I imagine you're learning a bit from him as well exactly so yeah. when I stepped into that role when I left PwC it was Dougal that uh, got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, we can work together here. Um, you can jump on board, I can provide you clients, be, you know, act as a mentor, yeah. uh, teach you some things, and it's worked really, really well. So I get, you know, some athletes coming through DA Endurance, I get some yeah. through, through my own means, and yeah, it's, it's a pretty awesome setup. Yeah, I imagine that a coach like him, if they become successful, gets overloaded at some stage. Yep. And so, yeah, you've got to... It's a win-win for both people. Otherwise, he's swamped, and now you can develop and and help him be less swamped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is it's great like that because obviously we have our own strengths as well. So me with the endurance running, 
the multi-sport side of things. Obviously, he knows a lot about the multi-sport side of things as well, but he's also got that, that Ironman background. So, yeah, we can take on a, quite a range of different athletes that are, that are keen to, you know, knock off their next challenge. Cool. Um, thanks for your time. I think I've learned a lot as well. And I hope the listeners have also learned a little bit. Um, what's, where can they find you if they're interested in coaching? Yeah, so cheers, Gene, first of all. Um, it's been awesome talking to you as well. And hopefully a few people uh, will be listening to this. So, yeah, I guess they can reach out. I, I'm mainly, I guess, active on Instagram. Daniel.c.jones is my handle. Um, yeah, like I said, I'll just leave, leave it with that one. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Perfect Flow podcast and want more value from it in the future, there are some ways you can support it. The first is to rate or leave a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or other platforms where it's available. The second is to share this podcast or specific episodes on social media or with friends. The third is to get involved more directly through the Perfect Flow page on Facebook, where I'm trying to construct a more interactive community. I want Perfect Flow to belong to the listeners, and if you tell me what topics you're most interested in, or even suggest specific guests, I'll do my best to make it happen. This is your opportunity to be part of something that answers your questions and adds value to your life. Another good reason to follow Perfect Flow on Facebook is that I post links to episodes, blog posts, and anything I find useful to this page. It's a great way to follow my training, racing, and learning. Another great way to stay engaged is to subscribe to genebeverage.nz. This way you will get podcasts and blogs emailed to you, avoiding the clutter of Facebook. I don't know where this project will take us, but the reception so far has been positive. Who knows where we might be in a few years?